Welcome Talking Dairy listeners to our first episode of 2023. We hope the summer's going well for you. We're excited to kick off another year of podcasts and coming up over the next month, we'll be running a couple of conversations focused on the topic of managing in a profit squeeze. You'll hear from a mix of farmers on how they're coping with high farm costs and other factors putting a pressure on profit margins. But today, we're wrapping up our three-part series on contract milking. You'll find out what a farm owner needs to know when it comes to employing a contract milker. How do you make your expectations clear? How do you settle your new contract milker in well? And how do you support them to keep growing in their skill set? Bringing the answers are farm owner and ag consultant Brenda Natural and Waikato contract milker Rachel Foy. My name's Ben Chapman-Smith and I hope you enjoy this episode. And just a note, these podcasts are not part of the excellent new contract milking short course launched recently by Dairy Training Limited, Dairy and Zeta and Federated Farmers. We'd encourage you to check out that course, which is already proving popular. Go to dairytraining.co.nz to find details about the next contract milking course. Let's get started. Rachel and Brendan, thank you for rejoining us on the podcast for part three. This one we're talking about employing a contract milker. I won't get you to introduce yourselves again because you did that in our in part one. Let's just get straight into it. Brendan, what are some good ways for a farm owner to orientate the new contract milker on, onto the farm? What do they need to cover and demonstrate over those first few weeks or even longer than that? Okay, so the most important point is that if we step back two months or three months prior to start date is you've got a signed agreement in place. And it's a good agreement and you've been through the information in that agreement and more importantly, the annex that talks about how much the contract milker will be paying, but will be paid, how the contract milker will be paid and what costs the contract milker has to carry. So that's the foundation of your relationship, is to get the front end done. The period after that, till the 1st of June, is keep the communication going with your contract milkers. So you've got a young, excited couple in a lot of cases. They'll be keen to get on your property. They'll want some direction from you in relation to what gear and machinery they need to bring onto the property, what staff um, they require. They might like to talk to you about their staff members and get the green light in relation to um, a particular skill set that the staff member might be bringing to the job. And partners particularly like to talk about the house, the clean and tidiness of the property, and also, you know, when they can move in. So you've done all those things right. You've ticked all those boxes. You've got a nice positive contract milker coming to your position, rearing to go. Very early in the piece, pop over and see the couple and start working on the communication about how's the best way to communicate with your contract milker. It's very different from an interview. You see a couple um, or an individual and you've got in your mind just what they can bring, but then when you're jammed together on the 1st of June, it's a very different circumstance. You have to very quickly as owners discover a way that is the best way to communicate with your contract milker. And with um, young couples, technology is going to play a big part in that. So be flexible around that. And more mature contract milkers that have been in a number of jobs, they will probably come to you with quite a good communication type style. And then you've got a similar situation with contract milkers. You've got 100 days to test a relationship, to make sure that you've got clear direction before the pressure comes on and start a carving, to make sure that 
you are seen to be providing the infrastructure and support that your contract milker needs. So work on that for 100 days. As importantly as they start up, you've got some legal responsibilities and they include around health and safety, make sure that you have a clear health and safety plan, that you go through that with your contract milker clearly. And if you feel that there's any holes in the safety space, make sure you plug them as quickly as you can. You've also got responsibilities to make sure that they are capable to use your machinery. So they need to go through a formal written training process in relation to that. And also around the movement and care of stock, make sure that they've got good skill sets in relation to working with animals. And then once those key points are done, get your farm system clearly identified in your contract milker's mind. And farm policies are very important to make sure you communicate those clearly to your contract milker. Rachel, as a contract milker, can you share your perspective on that last question? What's worked well for you and your orientations? Yeah, so I've had two contract milking jobs, so two orientations on two different farms. And on one of them, a real useful thing, he had a map of the water system and a map of the power system. Just simple things like that is so useful because he wasn't yeah. here when I started. Despite all these things that Brendan's saying, there was a there was sort of a, a few issues, and he was actually overseas for like the first three weeks of when I started. So having a map <laughs> was was amazing, and and a farm map of paddocks and a bit of that. But yeah, generally you want you want a rundown of the cow shed, how to put the plant wash through, and little tricks for each cow shed, rundown of the water system. When I came here, I did a, like a farm tour with the farm owner. I had a map and he said, oh, that paddock's really wet and those paddocks are quite dry. You might want to carve on there. He also had the first few days grazing sorted for me so I didn't have to get straight in and be worrying about a grazing plan. He just sort of let me take over after a few days. So that was really good. And then as Brendan mentioned, I was signed off. So we had formal sign off. For me, the contract milker, for the use of the tractors, the wagon, all the farm owners' gear. I guess just remember that it's not your gear. Everyone wants things done differently. So just be shown, even if you've done it before, and if they can see that you're competent, they're quickly going to be like, yep, way you go. And then for me with staff, I had them start a few days after me. So I actually had the lay of the land and knew what was happening before I then had to orientate staff onto the farm as well. Can it be a bit overwhelming coming in as a contract milker onto a farm you, you don't know and learning all of this as fast as you can? So the job I am on now, it was quite a good transition. We, you know, like the farm owners were here and the grazing was sorted and it was like, oh, yeah, just follow me and we'll feed out and then you can decide where they're going and we're all dry and stuff. And it was a big farm, but I'd been around it a few times showing staff. But conversely, the first contract milking job, I can remember 1st of June, I'd start. I had to milk. There was still like 20 cows in milk and a new cow shed. I hadn't even unloaded my ute yet. Couldn't move into the house. Had to <laughs> milk. And then I was like driving around in the fog trying to find a paddock to move another mob to. <laughs> it was just so, yeah, it can be a little bit. But I guess, yeah, there's lessons to be learned from that one. And it was just a few circumstances that made that one a bit tricky. He wasn't planning on being away, but it sort of had to be. So, yeah, that one was a bit comedic at times, I think. But we got there in the end. Hey, and Rachel, how can the owner make the expectations clear to the contract milker? I know that's a big question, but I'm interested in your thoughts on it. Um, so we've got a farm policy, which is data, which I was given before I started here. So you kind of knew 
how they wanted things run, what the non-negotiables were, I guess. And when I was applying, I could come to the interview with things that I thought that could be implemented, just small changes of the way I wanted to run things, and and they would either give that a, a yes or a no. Just learning to communicate with each other and learn how each other work and and what ticks each other off and what doesn't and I think you're just constantly learning to work with each other there's always going to be the odd issue but as long as you can work through them and everyone can keep doing their roles and do them effectively then then you will get there. Is there a way to figure out what ticks each other off before you're ticked off? Oh Rachel you're so right I go back to this 100 days the the free zone that we've got Um, in the lead up to when the partnership comes under pressure. Rachel's exactly right. You've got to learn how to communicate. I mean, we're all going to have tension points and what Rachel sees as black and white, I see as grey. And so you've got to use the free time, the unstressful time, the clear thinking time to really find out and discover how your owner ticks. What decision making do they like? How do they like it? Because there are going to be road bumps all the time. And the good contract milkers have got a real ability to actually manage those road bumps. And owners have got a superb ability to absorb the stuff around the fringes and concentrate on the key points. And from an owner's point of view, that is crucial. You can't micromanage contract milkers. They're there to do a role. They've got a contract and the expectations are very clear in the policies and also in the contract base of the contract. So you have to relinquish some control, trust your contract milker and your recruitment process and just let them have a go. Where you drag them back in is if you feel that you're moving too far away from farm policy, that it's going to start having an impact on both your contract milker and yourself. So at that point, you drag them back in to the direction that you've all agreed to. One example is my farm owner likes to know where the cows are going to be going. He doesn't pick the paddocks for me. I do the grazing management, but he likes to be able to see where they're going simply because he's doing things like spreading furt, doing fencing, moving young stock around, and it's just easier for him to be able to know in advance where the cows are going to be so that he can work around us. And it's easy to do. Like, I've got to do it anyway for the staff, but just knowing that the farm owners actually want to know what's happening a couple of days in advance. Oh, and that's excellent, Rachel. I think that's a really uh, good example of satisfying the owner and massaging your own decision-making to actually achieve a good outcome. So I think that's excellent. Brendan, you mentioned farm policy before. What is a policy? How many of them do you have? And how do they help with making sure that this relationship works well and and expectations are met? Okay, so we've all got farm policies. Unfortunately, from the owner's perspective, is very few of them are formally written down to a point where they're a good workable document. So we all know how we want to run our farms and what the expectations are, but unfortunately, because a lot of them aren't formally uh, written down, the contract milker is forced to communicate on a regular basis to discover what the policies are. Now, from an owner's point of view, we need to do that much better. Owners and, and farmers, Generally, um, we love milking cows and being outside and doing all those practical related stuff, but some of the more formal parts of the business could be done better. So A, we need to do that better. Secondly, from a contract milker that comes across a formal farm policy, that's excellent. So you need to review that. 
You need to discuss it with your own professional partners and decision-making people wrapped around your business and then have a clear understanding that yes, that is the formal farm policy for the property. And you've actually got an advantage. You'll be miles ahead of a property that hasn't got a formal farm policy. Contract milk is coming into a contract where there's no formal policy. The most important thing is to discover that very quickly, as soon as you can. So sit down with the owners. Whenever the owners start talking about the month or two ahead, take notes, pop it down and, and onto your phone. So you can start actually designing or putting down your own policy as quickly as you can. Now, the key thing is whether it's a formal or informal policy, you both need to be agreeing and heading along the same direction. So if either party have got any questions about what the other side is doing, they need to raise that very quickly. An example might be nitrogen application in the spring. The owner doesn't provide the suitable amounts of nitrogen, whereas the contract milker was expecting to be following the cows with nitrogen behind um, as the rotation rolls out. So those type of small things, you've just got to make sure that you clarify, it's a road bump, clarify it, build it into policy and move on. Should farm owners expect regular reports from the contract milker, you know, sort of updates on pasture cover and cow condition and so on? A number of contract milking um, positions, they do have to, the expectation is that they provide a formal monthly report to the owners or the entity they're partnered with, and that's fantastic. For me personally, if it was a decision point between having great communication with my contract milker and having a formal report taking the place of communication, I'd always go for the communication through the month. So I think not all owners expect a monthly report, but all owners do expect and should be propagating really good communication with their contract milker. And that's the most important thing. A clarification at the end of the month around cow numbers, supplemental feed on hand, some of the compliance issues are becoming more and more important within our business. And they are key points that we need to formalise. So a two-pronged approach would be excellent. Really cool communication through the month, a real fluid easy communication. Whenever you see each other, you take a couple of minutes just to stop, take a breath, say hello, and then move on. A lot of the relationships that fail, they don't actually do those little things. When you're down at the farm dairy and you see your contract milker coming over, just take a breath. It's a couple of minutes, say hello, and you can do a lot of discovery in two minutes of conversation about where the contract milker is under pressure and where they need support. And as an owner, they are your two key points, particularly in the spring as, as things ramp up. Rachel, obviously what we're talking about here is just regular great communication. But how often should the farmer and um, contract milker be meeting formally if they do? How often should they meet in person and how should those meetings be run? I think it depends on the farm owner on whether they're an absent farm owner. Like there's a few contract jobs where the farm owners, it could be a whole group of people that aren't even on farm and then you will be doing those monthly formal reports and you'll probably have sit-down formal meetings sort of thing. But when the farm owner is on farm and is quite a hands-on farm owner such as mine, we have a farm consultant meeting about every three months where we will have that sort of formal reporting. But otherwise, it's fairly brief informal sort of communication all the time. You know, if we're short on pasture, we're not where we should be on 
feed budget. It can be something as simple as a text. So actually, I think I need to feed some silage. So he knows what's happening. And then there's no issues with me doing that, but it's just keeping each other in the loop. So he doesn't really answer the question, but I think it just depends on the relationship between the two parties, really. Just a few more questions here. Brendan, if the farm's not being operated as the farm owner wants it to, what's the best way for them to handle it? And related to this, as long as the farm goals are being achieved, does it matter if the contract milker is doing things in a slightly different way? As an owner, it's probably one of the most crucial points of today's podcast. There's a number of small and larger and wider and and shorter issues that can bring the relationship under pressure. So as an owner, if you feel that something is not being run in relation to your expectation, you have to elevate that. You've got a responsibility to elevate that issue to your contract milker as quickly as you can. A, because you need clarification. And in a number of cases, once you've got clarification, actually things are fine. And secondly, if you do elevate an issue and you elevate it to the contract milker, you have to give them due process and time to correct that and put in place the policy change that you need to satisfy your requirements. So as owners, be very clear that as soon as you find something within your business that's not working to plan, elevate it quickly. Now, by that point, in a number of situations, the communication is starting to tighten. It might be the end of spring. You might have already had two or three smaller issues or roadblocks that you've worked your way through, and then you're faced with a major roadblock or a major issue. The key thing is push in once and then pull back. Don't push in and push in and push in because you'll end up with no contract milker. So the key thing is. Realise what the time of the year is, the pressure your contract milk is under, push the subject in quietly and then pull it back and reflect, take a breath and then go, right, okay, we're still not in a position that I'm happy with. So there's two options from then. You can push in again with a slightly different focus and way and manners, maybe get the partner to come to a meeting with the primary operator, maybe get your consultant to pop in and just to have a round table, cup of coffee, keep as relaxed as you can to try and get an outcome. Now, there's some issues that that won't work. And at that point, you need to lie back and sit on the formal processes that are built into your contract. And that's why it's important you use a Fed's contract. There's a lot of very poor contract milking agreements in the market one or two pages, and when you do get a significant issue as an owner, you haven't got any type of process to follow, and you've got an inability to actually change direction within your business. Fed's agreement, remember it's been reviewed by the industry. It's reviewed annually by the Schemelka section and also the farm owner section within Fed's, and they're a group of really cool people that give up their time to make sure that we've got a really proactive contract. In that agreement, there's a pathway to follow from conciliation on on issues, identification of what the issue is, right through to arbitration. As a contract milker, be careful. The more you elevate an issue or push back on an issue, you have to be very, very clear that you're on solid ground. And owners, 
you have to be seen to be not to be influencing your contract milker in a way that has an impact on the financial performance of their business. So again, it's a balancing act, gentle push-ins and pull-out, push-ins and pull-out before you start following the arbitration clauses in the contract. Thanks, Brendan. Rachel, last question. How can an owner identify and support a learning opportunity for the contract milker? So we've talked about having a farm policy and having clear communication and having things. What I find really useful is having sort of a calendar or a list of things that are coming up so that the contract milker can actually plan ahead a bit. If I think if you're an owner and you know that a contract milker is coming in with like really strong pasture and cow skills, but maybe weaker machinery skills, but that's a strength of yours, you can help them in that area or you can you know, assist them with doing those things. Allowing some time off perhaps for them to go and attend some training, like there might be still contract milkers that are still doing ITO and just being accepting that they're having a bit of time off between milking to attend such courses. A good one for contract milkers is something like Mark and Measure that Dairy NZ run. That's a really good one for contract milkers and shoe milkers. So just allowing the contract milker that time off and not sort of getting too upset that they're going to have a couple of days off farm, which they shouldn't be anyway. And knowing that it's to improve their own business, which is going to flow on to your farm ownership business. And I think allowing people to learn from mistakes, just as you did when you had staff, accepting that it's a new farm for that person and that they might make the odd mistake. But as long as you're actually learning from that, that's okay if it hasn't caused something major, just sort of not sweating the small stuff. That's the end of the formal list of questions, but I just wondered if uh, if you had any final thoughts on this topic, either of you. Yeah, Brendan and I thought we'd just have a quick discussion on staffing, and I think there's a bit of a feeling out there by some farm owners perhaps that if they put a contract milker on, they can get rid of the issue of having to deal with and manage and employ staff and, and all the challenges that come along with that. And as a contract milker, yeah, it's not ideal because really all you're doing is passing the buck on to someone else. That contract milker may have better skills in managing people perhaps and might be a bit more up to date with what's going on. But for me, it's really helpful that no, the farm owners don't employ the staff, I do, but still having their support with any issues that might arise or any frustrations that you have. Ultimately, they don't make the call or make any decisions around the staff, but it's definitely helpful having their support and knowing that they're supportive first and foremost to you as the contract milker and they're going to back any decisions that you make with your staff. Like quite often they can offer advice around any problems that you might be having or offer some suggestions and things. Yeah, so Rach, that's exactly right. So owners, when they put a contract milker on, they are delegating responsibility and liability to a third party. And depending on the stage that farmers are at in their farming career, that, that could be a very positive thing. Generally, what I say to owners when we put a contract milker in place, particularly if it's their first or it's a new contract milker, is don't step back. They've got a feeling that they can put a contract milker on and then step out of their business. Particularly for the first three to six months, it's the most important time for an owner to actually stay engaged with their contract milker. So a couple of clear things they can do, and similarly, Rachel, to what your owner's doing, they are quite involved in their business still. House inspections, they're doing maintenance on the property, they're applying fertiliser, 
So they're keeping connected. On the smaller units, the owners continuing to rear the calves, for example, is a good way of keeping connected to the uh, contract milker. They see each other every day, take a little snippet of time, take some very valuable, precious moments to get a feeling on how their contract milker is going in the middle of spring. That type of stuff, it keeps them engaged, it keeps them connected, and it also means that they can pick up where contract milker needs support. Around your staff management, for example, your body language, you might be saying stuff around a particular staff member about how do I support that person, how, how do I get better performance out of that person. Generally, owners have had a world or a career of managing and interfacing with people. So it's another way that owners can actually just give their lead decision maker or contract milker some tippets on you know, how to support people, how to get the best out of people, how to identify non-performance, all that type of stuff. So I agree with you, Rachel, that it's not a time for owners to just pack up suitcase and disappear. It's actually a time for the owners to continue to be really engaged in their wider business. To a point, though, that they don't start micromanaging their contract milker. And at that point, we've got issues. Mm. So my, my farm owners, if they spot an issue with one of my staff members, they won't go to them. They'll come to me first as I employ them. But everyone knows each other really well because obviously the farm owners are quite involved and we'll have big whole farm events. So like I'll have a Christmas party every year and an end of calving doing a pre season function and stuff and that's the whole farm so that's all my staff and their partners and that's the farm owners as well and their family so while we have defined roles it's really good to do those things so everyone's comfortable around everyone else because the farm owners are still involved they're on the farm every day they're seeing my staff and they might need them to go and help with something on the young stock side or go and help with fixing a fence the farm owners can still step in and if I'm away and uh, need them to help with something with the staff, the staff know who they are and communication lines are, are wider. Well, that's excellent. Thank you, Rachel and Brendan. It's um, so good of you to give up a big chunk of your time for these podcasts. And thank you for all of your wisdom, the nuggets that you've brought. And I know there'll be people who will get a lot out of these podcasts. So thank you very much. Thanks for tuning into Talking Dairy. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, go to dairynz.co.nz forward slash podcast or find us on your favourite podcast platforms.